Hello, Beyond the Mass listeners. Jeremy here. The ANA Foundation is planning another great fundraising event, and you won't even have to leave the comfort of your home to attend. Treasure Island, a virtual event for CRNAs and SRNAs, will be an online event featuring live and pre-recorded fun, information, recognition, and education presented by and for CRNAs and SRNAs. We set sail to Treasure Island on Sunday, August the 16th, and content will be available throughout August and September. Tickets are $100 for CRNAs and $25 for SRNAs. You can purchase your tickets today at www.aanafoundation.com and designate Treasure Island Ticket. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, well, Sharon, welcome back. Well, it's good to see you. It's been a whole twenty-four hours. <laughs> well, I still have to see you. Left. I still have to see you through Zoom, though. You know, we don't get to be in the studio together again. But, I know. Uh, I know. I need to put the light just right. Makes me look better. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, I think we've got another action-packed episode today. Uh, you know, we are calling this series "Lightning Rod." Um, <laughs> And, Are we uh, going to have to have a whole new designation <laughs> for series going forward? It's actually a good idea. I, you know, we might have to. You know, I, I never knew that the name of our podcast, Beyond the Mask, would have so much meaning in the COVID oh, times, you know? Oh, well, we just need to thank COVID, right? Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> well, we have some, some wonderful guests on with us today, and we want to thank them for being here. And uh, I'll just kind of run through here. We have Mr. Jeff Moulter from Ohio. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Sharon. Just been on the show before, so he, he is a repeater. Thank you, sir. Um, we also have Mr. Mike McKinnon, and uh, thank you, Mike, for being with us. And Mike is no stranger to podcasting either, are you, Mike? No, absolutely. Glad to be here. <laughs> um, Tracy Young is on the line with us today. And, and Tracy, you're a newbie for us. Um, have you done podcasts before? Hey, Jeremy. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've, I've done a, a handful of different podcasts for in the anesthesia world. Great. Awesome. Awesome. And then last but not least, we have Mr. Joe Rodriguez. Hey there, everybody. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> and everybody knows uh, Joe and Mike from uh, their Facebook episodes and channels and so forth. So uh, we want to welcome all you guys. And I think uh, the topic today, um, Sharon, you want to kind of introduce the topic for us? Well, yesterday we did the podcast with um, the people who had put forth two bylaw amendments for the business meeting that we're going to be having virtually in August. And it's bylaw amendment five and six regarding uh, the regions that we currently have that were 
disseminate, not or decimated, I guess you could say, with the vote last year at the annual business meeting. And so they have came back and, and proposed this bylaw amendment. So they were talking about that. And we have uh, the people on today, the opposition to those two bylaw amendments. Yep. All right. Well, let's let's kind of kick this off. And, um, you know, Joe, why don't you start us off and just kind of tell us, you know, why this is so important at this time um, and why you're opposed to what the other side is recommending? Sure. Uh, so the reason this conversation is important is because, you know, six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, we've all heard that we live in volatile times, that healthcare is changing so rapidly, right? And finally, this year, across the globe, we, it's suddenly become very, very true for all of us. Every part of our life has been turned up, maybe our personal and professional life has been turned upside down. And in times like this, nobody cares where you're from or what color your hair is or anything else. If you've got care, it, right, Joe? If you've got it, if you've got it, that's right. All they care about is whether you can deliver results for them and help lead uh, the organization through a real-life crisis. That's the only thing that matters is the results that you can deliver. And that's why this conversation is important. I, I would rephrase it initially from being a op- – we're not actually the opposition. We had a proposal last year which passed in historic fashion double the amount of votes that an ANA business meeting has ever had. And we won, I think it's fair to characterize it as a landslide of 72% of the vote. And now this year, there's a group of members, many of whom, you know, I consider friends who are trying to undo that. And we'll get into the details of that today. So we are opposed to this particular amendment, but it was, it was originally our idea to make uh, elections open and that's, that's already passed and it will take effect this year unless uh, this effort to rescind it is successful. So uh, let me ask you a question, Joe. Why do you think that uh, do you think that it passed last year? And why do you think that there is this movement, I guess? Uh, Sure. So I think it's two reasons. First, it definitely passed. I know there's been some rumblings that it might sound something like I've been at these world cafes and I've heard from members that they were very confused. And, you know, that's certainly I I believe that I'm, I'm sure that's accurate. The problem is. How many people were really confused because 3,200 people voted, right? And if a majority of people were confused, you're talking, you know, 1,500 plus or 1,600 plus one. So this idea that 1,600 people were confused seems a little far-fetched to me. So I just to touch on what you, you spoke on there briefly, but I think the real reason it's happening is, number one, people are uncomfortable with this idea of having things open. And they want a reason I think that's familiar and comfortable to people for a variety of reasons. We can dive into it more, but I think that's really where it's coming from. It's a desire to have this idea of representation, even though that is extremely problematic, which I'm sure my colleagues will touch on as well. Yeah. Hey, Mike, you know, I've I've heard you kind of talk about this a a little bit. And, um, you know, your take is, is leadership is about choice. Why don't you kind of expound upon that for us for just a few minutes here? Sure, Jeremy. So from my perspective, you know, uh, leaders are trained. Uh, they're not necessarily always born, of course, but they they learn in their environment. They learn from the people around them. They get mentored up. And, you know, um, the thing is, is when it comes to this regional director thing, those leaders represent all 50 plus thousand CRNAs across the country, as opposed to 
just the people in their region. So the amendments would actually change that back to that they would have to come from a region, but also that only the region could vote for them, yet they represent us all. Now, the problem with that is, is that we have to be able to um, have some sort of way to vet these people as a choice for all the national members, because every member has a vested interest in every board of director, because ultimately those are the people that are going to be interfacing in the truest fashion with um, the decision-making process and all the information that will impact all CRNAs on a national level. So choice becomes important. And if you only have people running from one region because they're from one region, then you'll have what happened in 2019 again, over and over, when I was the uh, nominating committee chair, which for those listening, that's the person who runs the nominating committee deciding who runs and bring people into the election. And we had one region run totally unopposed. So, you know, a group of state presidents had a discussion and decided that this was the person for them, but they chose for 50,000 people. So when it got to the ballot, that was the only person to pick. So although that individual, who's probably good, you know, a good board director, it's not a slight on the individual at all, might have been the best choice and the, the option to run in that region. They might not have been the best choice nationally. And so without any competition, we just have to take that person. And it affects me in a different region because that person is at the table that I'm not at and is representing me as well. So choice becomes really important. And leadership qualities are about the individual, not where they're from or where they live. And so, you know, a great leader, regardless of where they are, are going to interface excellent with the people they represent. They're going to put the effort in, they're going to have the skill set. A bad leader, if they live next door to you, will still be bad. It doesn't matter where they live. Question. Now, my understanding and just clarified, these are two separate amendments. So uh, the one about you could only vote for the one from your region is because I don't think they put them together. They're no. two separate ones. So well, theoretically, yeah, so. one could pass and one could not. Well, to clarify that, Sharon, um, if five, five undoes, we're getting real deep in uh, bylaw you know, speak here, but five undoes last year and uh, reinstates regional elections, essentially. And then what six does, it actually brings the regional concept even further and says, not only are we going to have regions, we're only going to be able to vote for um, a director from our region, right? So that's certainly a step in another direction. And, you know, what Mike's saying about choice is key here because something that hasn't been highlighted is that we're going to go from being able to vote for every director to only being able to select one. So we go from seven choices down to one. And I'm not sure how that's a good thing. Yeah, well, I don't disagree with you on that. I I will. I'll be honest, because if you I would like to vote on all directors because they all sit. And I'm the only one here on this call who's actually served on the national board. So I, I do have some mixed feelings about only being able to vote for that. So I am with you on that. Let me ask Mike one other question uh, for nominations. Uh, we only had one candidate at that time. I've been an NAA and a member for 30 years, and I've never seen that before. We've always had a contested ballot. So is yeah, we- that the only time? No. Uh, so Lewis, I, I was wondering that too. Lewis says happened somewhere between five and six times in the history of the ANA. Um, so and in that common. one year, yeah, it's not super common. And in that year, it actually happened twice. So ultimately, 
uh, not only did Region 4 only have one person because no one else was willing to run against that individual and the other people weren't chosen, but that one was by a small group of people. But in Region 1, ultimately, there was only one person on the ballot, Jason Trudell, even though there was two uh, the other individual that was from Region 1 actually pulled out to support Jason Trudell for the ballot. So even though he was on it, he was not going to accept it, and his votes would go away. And then, of course, there was a write-in candidate as well. Okay, so 30 years that I know of, we've only had it once. Yeah, okay. And I can't, I can't say when the last time was before this. I can't remember, but I know we had that conversation. Well, you hadn't been a member for 30 years, so only I'm, 10. Sure, <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that you, if I can't remember in 30 um, yeah. Okay, just wondering. Hey, you know, Tracy, I'm going to throw this one out to you. So, you know, I, I'm I'm an outsider here. You know, I'm not a CRNA. You know, I've been around the industry for a long time, and of course, I've picked up on a lot of stuff. But you know, I've said this throughout the years, and I've said this to Sharon, and sometimes she slaps back at me about this. But you know, the majority of CRNAs out there don't pay attention to this stuff. Um, CRNAs as a whole, from my viewpoint, are a little bit apathetic when it comes to the things that actually make this whole AANA run. And, you know, I think the election, what, with 14% voted in the election, one of the, I guess, the downsides to having at-large voting would mean that, you know, a small group of people could be in control. What are your thoughts around that? And kind of walk me through it. That's a great question, Jeremy. And and, and to the point that you made, in most organizations that are that are volunteer, member-led organizations for, for professional advocacy, you typically see about 10% involvement. So we're we're pretty much at the benchmark for slightly better than the benchmark for, for other organizations that are involved for um, similar initiatives as ours. Okay. So you're always going to have a small portion of the membership that's going to make the decisions for all the others. That's kind of going to be the nature of the beast. And the way I feel about it, and my thoughts on this topic, is they, they've been evolving over time. When I first thought about open elections, I was like, eh, I wasn't so clear about it, right? The fact that regions were there seemed very logical and pragmatic to me, especially um, when they were set up a long time ago. You know, there wasn't Zoom calls like we're having now. There wasn't podcasts. There wasn't emails. It took literally a pilgrimage for those founding mothers of our association. They were females, and they had to pilgrimage to Chicago to meet once, sometimes twice a year, and report back on their regions. And for me, that was that's logical. That's pragmatic. It makes sense, and it's a good idea. And today, with all the technology we have, a region director, wherever they live, uh, irrespective of what side of a squiggly line on the United States they live on that was drawn, you know, 30 years ago, somewhat arbitrarily based on population of CRNAs, they can meet and really learn a lot about that region and communicate that, whether it be through their region board, uh, whether it's going back up to the board, or the members can communicate to the board of directors themselves. There's really a straight line of communication up now. All the board members' emails are on the website. Randy more the CEO is on the website. And there's there's really a straight line of communication where we don't really need the region directors to kind of go forth and meet once a year and explain what's going on in their region. And the other aspect of that is things have gotten a whole lot more homogenous in anesthesia care over the years. What I mean by that is when this organization was found and for 30 to 40 years afterwards, 
CMS didn't exist. There was no national payer that set standards for what CRNAs could do or couldn't do in order to get reimbursement. Third-party payers didn't exist. Each state board of nursing was trying to figure this out on their own. So it was a really difficult time to try, and there was a lot of um, differences between the states. And I mean, the National Council of State Boards of Nursing didn't exist, right? There was no um, uh, consensus statement for APRNs. So now we're a lot more homogenous. There's much more subtle differences between the states. And a region director's role is not to represent a region. That would be a conflict of interest. They're there to represent the entire association. They're there to, to help with bilateral communication from the region back up to the board of directors. Well, now we have lots of modes of communication that can go through that director, irrespective of where they live, or it could potentially go directly with by-stepping their region director. So to get to your point about why a small group could potentially take over, I think that's a lot more of a potential problem under the closed section of elections that we have now, where only one or two people run from a region. A group of like-minded individuals could set up binary elections all across the country every year and take over a lot more easily than they could under an open election. When you're in an open election, you may have seven, eight, nine candidates to choose from, and it's no longer binary. It's no longer Sally versus Joe, Jeff versus Sue, or whatever the case may be. It's more, it's a, it becomes a marketplace of ideas, a marketplace of leaders, a marketplace of individuals that can focus on the issues besides having a binary election back and forth. And for me, I think it's easier to run an election under the region division than it is under an open division because there's so much more, there's so many more people coming together. And listen, there's a lot of diversity on this call right now. You know, Mike and I don't agree on everything. Joe and Mike don't agree on everything. So diversity of thought is good. A perfect example is region seven this year, we think we had really two strong candidates and Eric Roush and Drew Riddle. They're polar opposites then. I mean, those guys are very, very different. One's high energy, high action. One's very analytical, mm -hmm. slow action, likes to think things through. However, I think they would have been both great serving on the board. And guess what? They're both in region seven, so they couldn't allow that to happen, but they live over 1,150 miles apart from each other. So they're not even near each other geographically. So anyway, I, I kind of rambled on, but my thought process is, is I really think it's easier to run the table with a closed election, sy election system that we have now than it would be under an open uh, election system. Jeff, you are a newly elected region director, and I chaired a task force um, whenever I was on the board and a region director that defined the role of a region director. Um, so those definitions were, will still be in place. You just won't have a defined arbitrary line region. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel like you're qualified to help California because you don't live in California or know their particular laws? Or are, do you feel like you can help that state president? Absolutely. Um, full disclosure, I'm representing myself today and everything I'm saying is 100% my opinion. But yes, I mean, my job is to represent every CRNA in the country. Um, just yesterday, I was on a phone call with a CRNA from Hawaii. And uh, going back to Tracy's comment with the way that the internet is today, I think it's very easy for us to communicate. I also think another important thing is I've heard the word diversity brought up here a few times. And I think that the AANAs um, years ago 
their thought of diversity was by drawing out these region maps. And this is going to give us diversity, diversity of, of care and diversity of CRNA models and whatever. But I think really today, um, when it comes to diversity, we have different types of practice models. We have military CRNAs. We have independent practice CRNAs. We have program directors and educators, anesthesia care team CRNAs, acute and chronic pain CRNAs. Uh, independent contractors, employee CRNAs, I mean, various types of groups, and it doesn't matter where they live in the country. Our job as board members is to represent all of these people, regardless of where they live. I really do think it's important that we're picking the best leaders. Another term that we're hearing a lot frequently, and I agree with it, is that we need to have competency-based leadership. And with competency-based leadership, we need to have competent leaders and that it shouldn't matter where they're from. So um, I really like this idea of open board positions. And I have one other thing I'd like to say is that is um, he talked about uh, Drew and Eric. What happens to people when they lose their election? So somebody uh, campaigns, they work really hard and they lose. In the current system, they have to wait two years to go back and run for a national position. And I think that may disenfranchise somebody. I think in the new system, if someone loses, they could come back the very next year, come back strong, they have name recognition, and they have a chance to compete at the national level. So I think that aspect alone um, makes this solution better. So just just my thought. Well, thank you for that, Jeff. But I'm going to tell you, as a national president, I relied on my region directors because, you know, I was still national president, but I didn't understand particulars about California. Mm -hmm. And so I relied on my person who was from that area, but maybe you're smarter than I am. Sean, can I ask you a a question on that? (laughs) What, Joe? I'm sorry. Well, if you relied to hear from the Region 5 director from California, how would someone from rural Arizona, which is, as someone who knows, only because of business interests, knows the practice in California a little bit, but certainly knows the practice in rural Arizona and knows that they are two totally different environments. How would having someone from Arizona help you in California? Or for another example, how would someone from Seattle help you with another part of Region 5 that's completely rural? Or how would someone from Boston help you with rural Maine? Well, the way the region director system had traditionally worked is that you know the as the region director you have contact with your state presidents and that's where you get that feeder from the bottom up. So I hear what you're saying, but there's this constant conduit between on, on a good functioning board. Yes, Tracy. So that would not change under under open elections. That would be exactly the same as it is today. The only thing that would change is that region director may be from Colorado instead of Arizona, or maybe from Washington instead of California. So that that would be completely unchanged from your term as president to next year if these bylaw amendments do not pass and we we basically we go with the will of the members from last year. So that would be completely unchanged. So would is the vision that you would have you would assign whoever these board members are you get five states you get five states whatever is that what i'm hearing 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So at the beginning on the introduction, you talked about abolishing regions. And if you read the bylaw that passed last year, it doesn't abolish regions. It, what it does is it allows individuals to run from anywhere to, and that could be voted on irrespective of which side of a squiggly line they come from. So the regions aren't abolished under the bylaw that was passed last year. So if I'm from North Carolina, I could still I would be the region if I get California, the West Coast. You would more than likely be assigned the East Coast. That would be logical and that would be pragmatic. And I would doubt our board would, um, would throw you to a West Coast region. However, if they do, you'd probably have some Zoom calls with them. But I, I don't think I think that would be a far-fetched um, potential for happening because there'd be someone from the West Coast most likely winning an election as well. Unless Region 2 puts up all their members because we always have a lot of good members. Uh, you do have a lot of good members. <laughs> yeah, more national presidents have come from North Carolina than any other state in the country, and five have come from one school. Hey, hey, Joe, got a question for you. Do, do you think the regions have any value at all? Um, not particularly, no. Okay. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because just like Tracy alluded to, the regions were based off population and uh, just like, again, Tracy said already, information traveled much more slowly when they were initially drawn. But essentially, they're somewhat contrived. They're just based on population. Region 5 is almost half the country. So I'm not sure. That, I keep hearing that we want representation, but I struggle with how someone from New Mexico can accurately represent the needs of Arizona. I'd much rather have someone who's an excellent communicator with a track record of results in their organization that they can share with all of the members, whether they're from Montana or they're from St. Louis or they're from Florida, I'd much rather have that individual be my conduit, so to speak, onto the national scene. Um, because you, you're picking up on the theme here. I mean, right now we're on a Zoom call, we're all spaced out all over the country. And, uh, and I think it's important to note, another thing I, I hear, uh, my colleague Julie Litton keeps emphasizing that she's from a small state. Uh, but Tracy and myself and uh, Mike, we're all from small states as well. Even uh, the presidents in New Hampshire, one of the smallest states in the nation, they're on board with this concept as well. And I think that's because they've seen the benefit of not being restricted to a conduit based on your geographic area, but instead getting the very best, so to speak, conduits and working with them to get results. And I've done a lot of work with New Hampshire, I would venture to say, that I know uh, just because of, I've been reading a lot and talking a lot with them. I know the regulatory structure probably uh, better than a lot of other people because I'm a loser with no friends and what I do for my spare time <laughs> is I read regulations. Um, so again, I think it goes to a quality issue and I'm not sure the regions just derive that much benefit. Why would we limit ourselves? At the, at, at the start of the call, Tracy accurately stated that, you know, due to Price's Law or Pareto Principle or the Pareto Principle, only about 10% of people get involved. So that's a pretty small pool to begin with. And then when you narrow it down even further to people who have time in their life, people where it's you know, the right time with their family, the right time with their other professional interests, why would we ever limit ourselves so we can get the very best people running the organization? Just a quick interruption on today's show for a special message from Jeremy and Sharon. Hey, money guy. What would you like to find if you could? How about some treasure? Well, I know where you can get some treasure. Really? Where's that? Yes, the AANA Foundation is having a fundraising event, and it's going to have to be 
virtual. Of course. Absolutely. Like everything in 2020. I know. I know, right? So they're going to be doing their virtual fundraiser this year. I bet you know all about it. I'm leading you down this path, and I know you know all about it already. Yeah, I even know where it's going to be held. Uh, well, why don't you tell our audience? The name of the event is Treasure Island, so we're going to have a virtual Treasure Island event. Well, that sounds like fun. Are you going to dress like a pirate? Absolutely. Virtually? Yeah, virtually. (laughs) And, and, you know, there's going to be different rooms set up. Okay. Um, People are going to be able to visit different rooms throughout the event. And if you would like to learn how to mix a certain type of drink, I think there might be a mixologist there, Sharon. Oh, that sounds lovely. But I don't think we can attend that because I believe we've got our own room. We do have our own room. And it's going to be a surprise room for our listeners. A mystery guest. Mystery guest. And we'll give him a hint. Okay. This guest caught a big fish. A big fish. Big fish. We'll leave you in suspense on that one, but we will <laughs> we'll let them know who that is the closer we get. Absolutely, we will. So the event's going to be on August the 16th, uh, again, virtually. Uh, but you can actually buy your ticket and only... $100 for that's, CRNAs. That's a deal. That's a deal. $100 to support the ANA Foundation and all the mm-hmm. great work they do. And for SRNAs, we obviously want all our SRNA listeners to be there and attend as well. 25 bucks. Hey, that's less that's than a night out at a bar, which you can't even go to bars these days, right? That's right. Yeah. So support the industry that's going to support you the rest of your life. I absolutely agree. So, listeners, you can go online to www.aanafoundation.com, purchase your ticket, and make sure and select Treasure Island Ticket as your designation. We'll be there. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Jeremy and Sharon. Let's get back to today's show. Mike, let me ask you a question because I'm going to look at this as a candidate because I've been a candidate repeatedly would you foresee that without regions every every election you're running a a a national election versus kind of i know whenever we campaign as a region director a lot of times you you hit your region hard because you're expecting your region to come out and vote for you and we anybody who's running these AANA elections, no, you have to win region two to win the country. If you look back at all of that. So everybody who runs would have to basically do a national campaign. So, I mean, I would say that we already have to do that. So if there, if you're in a region director, uh, you know, ultimately the nation's going to vote for which region director from a region you're going to get. So they're already running a pseudo national campaign. There may be more people in an open board directors, but that that's good. Choice is good. So now you get to pick from multiple people for your leadership position. And I mean, I think that um, your example in North Carolina or any other state that may or any other region that may be very involved or comes out to vote a lot, you know, because they care they're a bigger part of maybe that 10 percent Joe and Tracy mentioned, they're still going to have the same voting structure and power as they would before. They're just going to have more options. And, and, you know, that's the benefit. And to kind of go back to, to something Jeremy had asked, you know, I live in Arizona. I would say I'm a relatively involved member, but I couldn't tell you all the regulatory structure of New Mexico, and it's one hour for me. And yet Hawaii is 3,000 miles and 2,800 miles to Alaska, and they're in my region. You know, so 
you know, my response would be I would rely on experts in those areas and true regional representation would be state presidents because they're experts in their state, which is what we all rely on anyway. When we, you know, when, when I'm helping people from another region, which I do frequently, I rely on them to inform me of their situation so I can help them with the part that they've called me to, to help them with. Tracy, I'm going to throw one out here to you and um, a little bit off the cuff, but you know, a, a lot of minority groups in our country are not on board with at-large voting and the model of at-large. Um, and I've heard other people talk about that this at-large model could hurt diversity in the association for the ANA, which has been talked about over the last few years as being a, a big issue. Can you talk to that just a little bit um, and, and kind of fill us in on what your thoughts are on that? The claim that at-large will somehow disenfranchise whether it be a minority individual, whether it be a clinical CRNA, whether it be an, an educator, any type of diversity that would potentially come forth, in my opinion, is unfounded. There's really no proof for it. We already vote for all elect all of our directors currently, so it really wouldn't change. The only thing that would potentially change is the fact that we can now choose from four out of seven or four out of eight instead of a lot of binary elections of one versus one. So I, I don't I don't see that. But again, it, it could be, um, I just don't see it happening. We'll put it that way. Well, the Jeremy, Supreme Court saw it happening. That's why it was ruled, well, uh, at-large voting was, was ruled on in 1965. I think that's I, what um, you're alluding to. Sharon, can I? At-large voting in the for-profit sector, all shareholders, which our members are our shareholders, get to vote for our directors. So um, that we're the exact same thing. We're a corporation. We happen to be a nonprofit. I'm sorry, Joe, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I think on this point, I, I'm familiar with the case with which you're describing. I realize how it's being utilized. I don't think it is a very good example. In other words, the correlation is not very strong. The at-large word may be the same, but the, when you actually look at the details of the situations, not the same. It's the same when somebody says, well, we have a representative U.S. government. And I say that's true. But the United States government also has a judiciary branch, an upper house, a lower house, an executive branch and 50 state governments as well. So not a very good comparison. Not only that, we'll still have representation, but from national directors on this point of diversity. You know, it's it's really simple when you look at the math and when you look at groups like Fair Vote or Represent Us groups that are committed to election reform. It's a little bit of a hobby of mine. One of the advantages of open elections is you do not have to win a one-on-one -on -one plurality election, right? If Mike and I were running against each other, one of us would have to win. It's either me or him, period, right? But in an open election, I don't have to win a specific election. I just have to be in the top four. So it actually becomes easier for people to win. And it's just what, and what Jeff said as well, I don't have to wait two years. I can run again. I might be number five in 2020 and people get to know me a little bit. I get my name out there. People become more comfortable. And then in 2021, I'm number three. I don't have to be in the top one or two as it is right now. So it's actually easier for these groups. And it's easier to be diverse in this way because, again, you don't have to win a one-on-one -on -one election. You just have to be in the top four. That's much easier. Much lower bar. And as we're talking about open and national elections to what you said, Sharon, we have to get away from this idea that, well, you know, we've done it this way before and we're going to have all these problems. Let's look at the opportunity. And this 
this is a question we have to ask ourselves and we've really already asked and answered it but we and we've said we're willing to try something different right but if you have a national election what we need to do and what we've already begun to do is create a framework to make sure that people who are lesser known have a chance to become more well known right and that has to you we have to get a little bit more comfortable doing things differently at mid year assembly utilizing the internet just this past year because our facebook group the nurse anesthesiologist group is free from uh, the bureaucratic process right we just decided you know what we want to get to know our candidates better we want to hear from them directly we don't want the canned speeches that we hear year after year after year and quite frankly are a little bit boring so we had everybody on for approximately an hour every candidate it was quite a time commitment jeff was one of those people and we got overwhelmingly positive feedback and that is just one more example of being willing to do something different and being willing to try something innovative to get better results the year is 2020 now is the time to innovate now is not the time to say well we got okay results before we're kind of doing okay maybe we should just keep things the same if you talk to a lot of crnas around the country there is both tremendous opportunity and risk and we have to have the best to lead us hey mike i think you raised your hand on zoom so you, you have something to, to add to this I, I, no, I raised it a while ago. I wasn't sure if you were using it, but <laughs> what, I, what I will add to the I, what I will add to the I just thought you were telling me hello. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm very pro diversity. I'm Canadian, so let's start there, right? Um, you know, in where I grew up and how I grew up, everyone's equal. Gay marriage is a non-issue. Uh, it, it's just a different kind of culture, and so I've been pro diversity my whole life. And you know, I actually see open elections being more pro diversity than region specific elections and i see that because i see the opportunity for far more diverse candidates to run and diversity is a very large um, moniker you know if you're considering it as a color or a race that's one moniker but even where you live in the country or whether you're rural or urban or whether you know you grew up poor or wealthy these are all parts of diversity and you know when it comes to having a diverse group of options to vote for you actually get more options for that people who look different people who live somewhere different people who grew up different and i love being around people like that because that's how i learn so my perspective is you could get 15 diverse candidates running in any way you wanted with open board directors but if you look back historically at our region director uh, runs and you and i both know it there's people that run because they want to fill the ballot because we cajoled them into doing so which i certainly participated in for two years as chair of the nominating committee. And I know Tracy did afterward. Uh, you know, and it's because they want to fill the ballot. They're just trying to be good members, frankly. <laughs> you know, they, they want, mm -hmm. they don't want an unopposed election. And rarely do we have more than two or three people run in a region. So this gives us the opportunity to pick from many people and not lose someone for two years who might be good just because they weren't the person you voted for last year. Well, if I can offer a perspective also, I'm just wondering if there's a larger question here that we're beating around the bush um, because that, it, that it's not always been like that. Why are people just not wanting to run or somebody, whenever they get up there, go, oh, vote for this person. And we had somebody whose name was on the ballot that did that a few years ago. And I can tell you that's a recent thing because... It was always very um, competitive before. 
So I'm not sure that there's uh, an even bigger issue than going down region director lines, uh, you know, regional lines, any of that. And you're you're free to to yeah. I think Jeff. I think you're right, Sharon. I think that uh, you know, and actually, I think that you know, the last person I talked to about this was Paul Santoro, and I totally agree with what he said that we need a leadership pipeline, and that's existed in the past with leadership boot camps, and we've unfortunately don't have that now. And I think there's plans to renew that stuff. It's a two pronged thing, right? More options, more choices and better leadership development. Because the last thing you want is leadership development and everyone in North Carolina does it, but no one in any other region does. Right. And then you've got a different region running. Right. You know? Jeff, I think uh, you wanted to say something there. You had your hand up. Yeah, I just want to say that um, three of us on this panel today were also on the nominating committee, uh, Mike McKinnon, uh, Tracy uh, Young, and myself. And I will tell you, it's, it's very, very difficult trying to get people to run for national positions. And I imagine it's because of the time factor. I imagine that um, it's because, you know, a lot of times you're criticized for things, especially on social media. Now, no, is- that never happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's very difficult. And I think as we move, move forward, it may get harder to find candidates, which also makes this solution that much better that, as we said before, you could have 10 candidates running for four positions and may the four best people win regardless of where they live or their practice model or whatnot. So, you know, you're looking for the best candidates. And I think that's really what we're trying to say with this model. We're looking for the best because we want to win and we feel like this is how we win with the best people, regardless of where they, where they live. Well, again, if I can pop in here, because you guys are all incredibly bright, innovative, out-of-the-box thinkers. And I just think that there is another issue that needs to be addressed. And again, it goes back to leadership pipelines. And clearly, we have good models. See, God is listening to the thunder coming in here as I speak. But Region 2 doesn't have this problem. And as I did share with the other group, I had to wait eight years. So I see problems with that model. I was a, a NCANA president in 2002, and I basically had to wait my turn uh, to go up the chain. So I get that there's some issues with that model. But again, I think there is a bigger issue that we need to get to the bottom of. And I chaired nominating at the state level just a couple of years ago. And we had had some times where there were uncontested seats. I feel that ballot because people just want to be asked sometimes. And, you know, I asked and we had every single seat was contested. And we for years had had sometimes just one candidate running. So, you know, I'm not saying I know what the answer is. I'm just giving 30 years of observing what has been occurring. Hey, Tracy, I know you've been trying to say something here. Yeah, that's a great segue. This open um, elections is not a panacea to fix all of the problems that, that we're having in our leadership circles. And what so as nominating chair and on the nominating committee, we ask individuals, why did you say no? Because they were asked. You said people want to be asked. They were asked. So we asked them why. The GRTF also sent out a survey to everyone who is eligible to run and everyone who has ran in the past 10 years. 
and the data's back. People don't run, don't want to run because it's a financial hardship, because it's too much of a time commitment, and because they get attacked for trying to volunteer to help us, their association and their profession. That isn't rocket science. So good news, we're working on a lot of those things. The attack ads, I don't know if you noticed this year, there was only one or two of them that came out. Those individuals were marginalized quickly and rapidly by their peers because the tone was set early that this was gonna be an issues-based election. And we were gonna vote for leaders based on how we think they can represent us, not by attacking other individuals. The second thing is I was on the subcommittee for the GRTF task force for the elections. And we were looking at, is the time commitment too much? What can we do to start minimizing the time commitment for board members and to decrease some of the potential travel for directors as well? How can we utilize more Zoom meetings? How can we um, basically get less travel, less time off from work so it's less of a hardship so we can get more diversity inside our region directors as well? And the thought process, there's a lot of ideas being tossed around. There's going to be different reports coming out. It's being looked at. It's being studied. And um, I'm excited about the future. But this, what we're talking about today, should not be confused with a panacea to cure all of our leadership issues in our association. There's a lot of other things being looked at as well. Yeah. Uh, it's a, We're going to have to wrap this up, and I appreciate it. But I'd like to address that, Tracy. I understand that part of it is, some of it is to decrease travel, but yet it could if I have to represent California, I live in North Carolina, and I understand you're saying that's not to be so. But I'm going to tell you, as somebody who's been up this pipeline, who has served, one of my most favorite things, even though it was sometimes a hardship, I was gone 180 days during my presidency. I would not trade that for the world. Going and sitting in these meetings, meeting CRNAs, that's where I got my energy. Meeting people like you and Mike and Jeff. And I remember when Joe was a student, for God's sake, doing the coffee challenge. That is what fed me. So a Zoom call does not feed me. And maybe I'm just telling my age here. But I think that part... I would not find enticing in the least. And I would say that many people who have served uh, would say the same thing. And, uh, you know, we can ask Jeff in a year from now. And, of course, given COVID, it might be different to be sure. But that's a piece that I would hate for us to lose. Um, and I think that's the piece that drives people. I can remember sitting in an audience seeing the AANA president and thinking, oh, my God. I want to be the AANA president one day. And I don't, I'm not too sure that I would get that same jolt from a Zoom call. I, I think yeah. all of this call would agree with you. However, that was the responses for those who refused to run. Uh, I think all of us on this call probably dedicate at least 20 weeks a year of travel to speak at state associations. And then I leave, I, I'm so pumped up and excited. Sure. I, I sit through their board meetings, I sit through their. Um, all the lectures and I meet a lot of great people and made friends all across this country by doing so. And I, I agree with you on that. I think it's, it's amazing to be able to travel and meet people, but,
but not everyone has that luxury. And those were the responses when, when individuals were asked. Yeah, I think we could do another whole segment on that, Sharon, you know, just the leadership piece. But uh, I, I do think we need to kind of stop it there and wrap up. Anybody want to say anything on the close here as we kind of bring this one to fruition? Joe or Mike, either one of you want to say anything? Sure. I, I don't, I don't have something. to be the last one. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be the last one. You don't want to be Let me add one thing that hasn't been discussed a whole lot. I think, as Tracy said, this is not the open election system. It's not some panacea that's going to solve all our problems. It's a step forward to have laser focus on results, to maximize choice, to let anybody who wants to run can run. That's what it's about. Right now, we understand that there's a degree of representation that people want. They feel comfortable with. We just don't we think that's important. We just don't think it's most important. And what's been amiss in this discussion, even in this one, is that the the two sides of this, you know, spent three hours talking a few months ago and tried to work something out. And we said, hey, guys, we can't undo a, a historic vote. But we understand where you're coming from. You're part of our brotherhood. If we can do something for you, we can. Maybe we can do four open elections or four open directors and uh, three regions east central and west and that way we'll have some degree of representation but we can't undo what the members did last year and you know unfortunately that was turned down and now we're going all the way back the other way so this is not the be all end all maybe in a few years we will reform this but for right now the best way forward is to honor what we did last year let this process move forward as we already voted on let us see how it works and go from there yeah, I think that's a good point, Joe. And, you know, I know that, you know, you guys don't always see eye to eye. And the other side, you know, we, again, we've interviewed them. And, you know, they spoke highly of each one of you individually as well. So, you know, I think um, we all have our own ideas and opinions. And, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, all everybody is professional in this. And, um, you know, we're going to agree on something else at some other time. And I think that's... Uh, that's well, I do believe that everybody on... Um, both sides of the equation mm-hmm. have the AANA's best interest at heart. I agree. Yep. People are yeah. just a little bit divided on how they think they need to get there. Tracy, you wanted to close us out here. You look like you were going to say something. What you got to say? Yeah, I was just agreeing with uh, with both of you and Sharon. It's uh, we're not enemies in this. We both want what's best for the profession and um, how we get there. We see different paths to getting there. But, um, you know, I think this is something that I was originally lukewarm to, but now I'm at the point where I want to see it tried. I want to see if it works. And um, I think there's a much greater chance of success that we end up with a stronger organization through this model than not. So that's that's where I am today. And that's that's why I'm here on this call, because I, I believe in our members to be able to select the leaders that they think are best for them. Well, you know, Sharon, uh, I think I think this is a wrap. Mike, Joe, Jeff, Tracy, I mean, thank you guys for being on with us today. You're, you're all great leaders, and you're all out there, you know, doing your best every day to support CRNAs. And I know that the membership thanks you. I thank you, Sharon, thanks you for all that you guys do, the time and effort you put into this. Um, it, it doesn't go unnoticed. So, yeah. Sharon, I think thank it's a wrap. Yep. Thank you for your service, because I know what Yep. Thank you. We want to we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our other episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review, but only if it's 
positive. There's enough negativity in this world, guys. Until next time. It's a wrap. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.